Hi, and welcome to Oscar Poker. This is Sasha Stone of AwardsDaily.com. And this is Jeffrey Wells of Hollywood Elsewhere, talking from Wilson, Connecticut. Right. Fare thee well. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is it snowing there? It's beautiful here. It's like 80 degrees now. I really, really envy uh, California weather uh, at, at this point because we're right about to be in the in the middle or the or the depths of the yeah. of the uh, of the grim Connecticut weather, which is really worse. The worst it gets is when is in February and the, at least the middle of March. Yeah. So it's kind of like awful, uh, and it's always gray and dreary and drizzly. It's nice when it snows, but it doesn't ever really do that. I mean, it, it did it one day, two days, mm. and it stuck to the ground, which is very nice. But otherwise, it's kind of um, it's it's not something that you know I really uh, really have a, a great thing for. Um, I, if I had wealth, I would probably go down to Key West or something for the winter, or Florida. Not not <laughs> not, not 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 regular Florida because that's where. The, <laughs> The old timers and the, uh, really, you know, the people really that I don't really particularly relate to. But Key West is kind of a crazy, alcoholic, drug-taking, bohemian community. I could, I, I relate to that, even yeah. though I don't really take drugs. Or I what certainly if, don't. Drink. What about Vietnam? Is that also warm? Like I would this? love to go to Vietnam for, for the winter. Yeah. It's, it's lovely over there. It's lovely in every possible sense. I mean, it's it, it's English speaking. It has great Wi-Fi. It has wonderful transportation and and um, and hundreds of thousands of scooters all over the place. It's great. It does wonderful things for my spirit. Yeah. I, I would, uh, you know, really love it. Really, really love it. Yeah, I, hear I love that. it as much as Paris and and its scooter thing. And I just think that buzzing around on a scooter around Paris or Rome, for that matter. Have you ever rented a scooter at in any of your Italian travel. You've been to Italy three or four times, right? Three I think you times. were always pressuring me to do that, but I never did it. And, you know, the thing about, okay. there are two things about, so. Right, so people were so, the idiots on my, uh, not idiots, I wouldn't want to say that, be dismissive. The uh, perplexing, annoying people that uh, comment, many of whom comment in Hollywood elsewhere, were annoyed that I brought up <clears throat> the topic of a 2009, 22, uh, two, <laughs> 2009 film. He's just not, uh, just not in. Is it college? He's just not that into you. you. He's just not that into you. He's not Mm. that into you. Uh, Which I I did see in in portions and I did see in its entirety way back when in 09 when they had the New Line company going on Robertson and I went to their screening room. I remember very, very clearly seeing it there. And, uh, and and I just thought it was just fascinating to uh, visit that time period because it struck me. Of course, the uh, contentious people at, at the Hollywood Elsewhere uh, uh, comment section disputed at every every turn. But it's it's of course a fascinating uh, gulf of time that has elapsed since '09, which is the stage one uh, fifteen years. And one and it's not just the, the culture. And what you're allowed to say, and the way the, everybody relates, and the whole uh, diversity thing, everything, everything is different, Dra- truly, dramatically different. Um, and I was, 
But what I was really fascinated by was you were telling me before we began about an hour and a half ago, we were talking about how the world was different in a technological sense and that we're all sort of listening to to each other much more uh, persistently and completely today. And it was a much more spotty and uncertain and just starting uh, social media uh, thing back in 2009. Could you recount some of that? Because that was really fascinating. I mean, I remember the old days with, uh, even though uh, Facebook began in 2004, or technically 2003, but let's say 2004, and MySpace, which was a big thing around 8 and 09, um, but it kind of went downhill, you know, three, four, two, three years later, four years later. But and, and Twitter uh, began technically in 06, but that wasn't really well. You were telling it much better than I. I mean, it was just right. a whole. Yeah, you can't really realm. go by the dates yeah. because you had to have lived through it. So I'll just give you guys a brief history of my my experience online in case you don't know. I got online in 1994 after I dropped out of film school and ruined my life with this terrible man. And I was staring at the wall and I couldn't face my own life and the mistakes I made. So I got online and I've been living online ever since. So I was there, you know, when I was like Sandra Bullock in the net where I had like a MacBook and a modem and no social media, no ability to even send pictures over email. And that and was this in, is, uh, what was the speed of, of internet back then? I remember I have a vivid memory of 56K, but that didn't even 56K. happen. 56K. No, right? it was, what, yeah, 56, 56K was I very mean, advanced. <laughs> we had like 12. Well, 28 being more common, no? 28, but before that we had the 12 baud modems. Um, and oh. so we would just, you know, connect to the internet. I remember being at a job and, and working as a secretary and using their terminal on the PC to connect to the internet to read my email. It was hilarious. But a lot of people mm-hmm. were using emails at, on college campuses. That's mainly how they used it. How they used the internet was to communicate via email and with mailing lists. I was on a mailing list about movies. And so I did that oh. until about 2000 when I started my website. But Social media changed everything, not just online, not just the internet, but America. And the great thing about he's just not that into you is it is the moment before, right before. You know, archaeologists are always looking for fossils that will show the progression, the evolution of of the human species. And there's all these big gaps that are missing. And every so often they find something like the Laetoli footsteps that show humans walking upright for the first time and how they carried their babies and stuff like we found this movie somehow the thing that struck me about it at first was i looked at the trailer and i thought man that looks like another world because for one thing they're all white for another thing they're extremely hot every single one of them and for another thing they're all movie stars something we just don't have anymore right they put all Mm -hmm. these movie stars in a movie like imagine bradley cooper Ben Affleck, Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Connelly, Jennifer uh, Aniston. Like, there's just like one hot person after another. It's shocking. <laughs> they actually chose actors to be in these movies, romantic movies, because they were good looking. I mean, imagine that 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 uh, concept. I mean, it's a it's something that doesn't necessarily mm. happen now. Yeah, uh, uh, at least not not to my. You know, understand. No, no, they don't. They, they don't because they they find it insulting that people would even want to look at hot women on film. They they find it insulting and it needs to be purged out of us, right? We need to 
purge ourselves of our desire to look at pretty people because <laughs> there's no such thing as pretty in the utopia. There can't be. Everybody's pretty. Everybody's equal. Everybody gets the same, you know. Fat women could be on the cover of Sports Illustrated and you have mm-hmm. to like it. You have to be attracted to trans women because trans women are women. And if you're not, you're a transphobe. Like, it is such a complete denial of reality, of biological reality, but it's really hit Hollywood hard because that movie, you know, which wasn't even a top tier movie for me. I didn't even see it back then. I wasn't interested. That made almost $100 million. And it was a throwaway at the time. But now you look back on it and you go, okay, that's what Hollywood used to do really well. They used to give people gods and goddesses on screen that they could leave their mundane lives and look at these women. You can ogle Scarlett Johansson in her prime, people. I mean, we're talking one of the most gorgeous women who has ever graced the screen in her absolute prime in this movie. And it took my breath away because you just don't see... Scarlett Johansson, yes. What did I say? Anyway, so back to the internet. So right around... um, the election of Barack Obama, 2008, I was already on Twitter because I got on Twitter. I was an early adopter because I'm a computer nerd. And I was on Twitter in 2006 when it started. Um, and I built the Obama coalition with him on Twitter. I'm still one of the 300,000 people he follows on there. And um, I didn't get on Facebook until after the Virginia Tech shooting, uh, which made Facebook a lot more prominent and people started to... Uh, get online. So when David Fincher made The Social Network, when it was released in 2010, he and, um, you know, Aaron Sorkin had been working on this screenplay by by the book uh, written by Ben Mesrick, I think his name is, mm-hmm. um, about the rise of Facebook, right? And what's great about Facebook, the I mean, Social Network, is you watch it and you can see the beginnings of what would become one of the most powerful forces in human existence facebook it yeah. wasn't then yeah. and um and and same with twitter so you know this movie he's just not that into you they're using flip phones right they're, they think they're so cool with their flip phones they're like opening up their flip mm-hmm. phones yeah, snapping forever. shut their flip mm-hmm. phones they're still using landlines like justin long answers the landline you know and she answers her landline and she does call waiting can you hold on i've got another call like <laughs> and then drew barrymore yeah. is like he face he um he myspaced me and she's talking about mm. dating and how complicated dating is now with myspace right <laughs> and, we, and we know that tw- 2007 the iphone came out people didn't start getting them in their hands until around 2010 the combination of the iPhone with a phone in your pocket where you could take pictures and put them online, send text messages instant. You had internet in your pocket. And then we had Twitter and we had Facebook that became Twitter, especially arenas for public shaming, which meant that you know, it's it, funny. I can recall a director friend who was pretty up on good tech and good computers. I remember him sort of in a friendly way, belittling, the phone that I had, it wasn't, you know, it was a Toshiba, I believe. And it was just kind of primitive. And I remember thinking right around that time, this is around 07, maybe, maybe 06, that I, I was uh, behind the eight ball as far as having a good smartphone. But uh, anyway, it, it, I remember that, that feeling that things were changing, that I had to 
try and get with a better with better technology. Yeah. You know, I never even got a, a MacBook until um, I never even became a MacBook person until oh eight or thereabouts. I was actually using my um, you know. IBM computer up until all through the early aughts. Funny. Oh yeah, I was a Mac person from the early early days. I had like the little, the funny little Macs, you know, the early ones, and then I had the mm-hmm. MacBooks and I had the laptops. I've had them my whole life, Macs, every kind. I love them. Um, mm-hmm. But what's weird is that I think personally, my theory is this: once we created this society online. You know, mm-hmm. and, and these tweens were on Tumblr in a fever dream, creating this new hierarchy, this new religion that would be unleashed when they came of age on the rest right. of us. We didn't know that was happening as this sort of ideology was building on the left, this collectivism. And we were all online. What that meant was everybody suddenly saw the hierarchy and they could start saying, why does that movie have all those white people in it? Why aren't there more? Mm-hmm. And it's not all white people. Like it is inclusive. There are black people in it. There are Asians. There are gay people. You know, in the movie, they're represented. They're just not the main characters. And um, they're the staff. They're the help. They're not. They're not uh, strong characters. They're not strong characters. They're peripheral characters, but they do exist. It's their version of trying to be inclusive while yeah. also trying to give, make money, right? Make a movie that they know would make money. That. They were driven by market forces, not by woke ideology or status inside the bubble, right? But in the bubble, Mm -hmm. everybody has to be equal. And so, you know, it doesn't come down to population. It's not, yeah, 65% of America are white, 90% are straight. It doesn't come down to that because in our global community online, we're just like, okay, well, we're all here equal with equal share of voice. So why Mm -hmm. why don't our films reflect that? Well, because... Films are driven by the free market, right? Capitalism. People go buy tickets to watch something that makes them feel good. Not something that's going to say everything that you think is wrong. (laughs) Don't want to go see Scarlett Johansson looking like a ripe peach. That's not something (laughs) you should want. You know, you you shouldn't want that. You have to like the girl over there with the, you know, and that the Charlie's Angels that they made, it's just like they've done everything they could to strip films of the thing that people loved about films which was beauty glamour sex you know not i'm not saying sex but i mean you know gorgeous people like everything has to be touched by the grotesque now you know Mm -hmm. um anyway i have um um i have a question here that I'd, i'd like to explore um and it's basically about the uh, uh, well. I, I had actually I was going to ask you about a, um, uh, about whether when's the last time you've seen the Polanski film? I had, I went to see it, uh, the the pianist at a theater in New York called Film Forum. I did it on Thursday. Thursday, no, sorry, Friday, Friday, two days ago, and it was wonderful to see it on a big screen. And it's been restored. Not that I knew that it was in need of restoration, but it looks wonderful. And uh, it was a really, really nice moment to, to see it. And I had not seen it except on, uh, on on home video about maybe six years ago, five, six years ago. When is the last time you saw the... the oh, a long time ago, man. Like, that's too dark. Ago. That movie's too dark for me to go and visit it. 
Uh, oh, you don't want to see it because of the, the grim. It's rough. Yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty dark. Yeah. But I, I did love it when it came out. I remember I were I I passionately advocated for Adrian Brody to win that award. Um, yeah. You had a you had we were talking about a comment on your site that we wanted to discuss. Do you still want to do that? Do you want to talk read that guy's comment sure. and comment? What back? are we talking about? Which which comment? You read me a comment by some guy on your site about that. You know, like you don't want to move forward. You're stuck in the past or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, he basically he was talking about the the my I after I posted the thing, which is what you're at your suggestion about. Uh, he's just not that into you. Um, he interpreted that to mean that uh, I was writing a piece, and I wasn't. But he, he interpreted that to mean his name is Cat's Cradle. That's that's what his handle is, and and that uh, he, that I was writing one of those. This film could not be made today; it would be canceled today. You know, because it's all all white folk, and it's mostly white folk. <clears throat> and he seems uh, kind of upset that time has moved forward away from the early aughts or the twenty tens. And um, saying that that 15 years ago uh, feels like a half century is really not a very profound insight because 15 years, no matter how you slice it, is a long time. And my point, uh, which I you know re- responded to, was the 15 year difference between 80 and 95, let's say, was obviously there are changes. Everything is constantly changing, but it wasn't anything that was particularly striking. Uh, and I as said between 80, uh, 85 and 2000. Uh, yes, obviously, the you know, online culture began in the 90s. We were starting to, you know, dial up. Uh, but it wasn't anything that that made it feel deeply, profoundly different. Mm. Uh, same thing, uh, different between 1990 and 05. Uh, you know, it, it was everything changes. It was all gradual, but it didn't strike you really hard as something really big and, and different. And even 95 to 2010, not, not that striking. But, and this is my fundamental point, the difference between 09 and 24, which is say the last 15 years, was, is massive. It's, it's, yeah. it's startling. It's a revolution. Stunning. That's why they call it the fourth turning. It's definitely been a huge change, but especially to Hollywood. I guess I never would have predicted that I would ever be in a place in life where films offered me almost nothing. Because my entire life has been about movies, right? Yeah. I've loved them. I lived in movie theaters. I've grew up with them. I've I watched them millions of But the movies now, I'm not a zealot, right? I'm not a religious person. I'm not a true believer. I can't I don't get high on watching uh this distorted reality, right? It's like if you're watching uh-huh. he's just not that into you which is a perfectly fine romantic comedy. You'd probably see it on Netflix today. It'd be totally differently cast with mm-hmm. no stars <laughs> and nobody admitting that beautiful people are fun to look at, right? That reality has to be purged from our, mm-hmm. you know, but so people might watch it. I don't know, maybe. Um, but what it's doing that movie is it's speaking to the majority Right. So how you notice that is there's one scene where the guy from Entourage, you know, the short guy from Entourage, whatever his name is. Yeah. He was one of Leo's homies in the old days. Yeah. Um, He's the nice guy. He's the nice guy on that show in Entourage. He's the only like good guy. And in this, he plays like a sweet guy that is in love with Scarlett Johansson. She's not in love with him. He ends up with Drew Barrymore at the end because he's like a nice guy. Mm -hmm. 
Because they do mm-hmm. the reverse of he's just not that into you. Like, she's just not that into you, you know? So the idea of he's just not that into you is a really hard message for women to get. I, I obviously get it now that I'm old. But when I was young, you make up all sorts of reasons why they haven't called you back. You know, like, huh. if you really like a guy, you're never going to accept the hard truth. He's just not that into you. For instance, if a guy likes you, you know, he'll crawl over cut glass to see you to call you, to be with you. If he doesn't like right. you, he won't. And women always sit there and they double guess or second guess a guy like, I've done this so many times, I can't even tell you. It's like, well, maybe he's mm-hmm. busy or maybe he's sad. I had one guy tell me he was depressed and uh, that's why he wasn't calling. And so it's talking I about... Would, a, I would call bullshit um, on that immediately. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm depressed. So I think young people probably still do that. I don't, obviously, because I don't really date anymore, but that was kind of the thing. And so they're discussing this problem that women had a Mm -hmm. hard time accepting back then. All those women, by the way, grew up to become insane, like white liberals. (laughs) 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 Destroying the country. No, just kidding. Um, The... uh, Anyway, so he this this guy is talking to his friend and he's trying to sell houses to gay people, right? To gay men. Gay men are in the movie and there are a couple of funny scenes with them. They're like Drew Barrymore's friends or whatever. His specialty was to sell to gay couples. Well, his his he was trying to sell in a gay neighborhood and so he was trying to dress up like gay people do. And so the film is saying, I'm speaking to people out there in America who might feel this way, like, don't understand the world of gay people. And, and it's funny, right? Because he comes out in these clothes. It's not, you know, mean or anything. It's just mm-hmm. funny. It's just taking the the idea that everybody essentially can understand that scene. You don't have to be in the club. You don't have to be woke. You don't have to be politically correct. Because it's the majority. It's what any person would think at that time. Now, that scene would never be in a movie today because they don't address their products to the majority anymore. They pick their niche audience and they play right to them, whatever that is, you know. Um, You know, it's funny what you were saying. uh, You you struck a chord when you talked about how if a guy likes you, at least back in that back in the past, let's say he would crawl across across cut glass to get mm -hmm. to see you He would make no he would not. Uh, he would be very devotional in his attentions. Yes. And uh, I've always found, this is not something that I willed, but I just came to accept it, that the women that I was going to get uh, probably last the longest with and the ones that I uh, would probably settle in for long long runs, uh, maybe years even, were the ones that I was not, head over heels yeah. about. <laughs> so true, isn't it? <laughs> the ones that I felt, okay, you know, we're, we're good, we're good. But not, you know, too, you know, not knocked out by them. Yeah. Because if, if you're more, that means that there's a kind of security conveyed in the, uh, in this feelings of, you know, if you're too in love with somebody, or really are like head over heels, they sense that. And there's a power thing that they get from that. And, Nine times out of the ten, certainly eight times out of ten, they're going to dump you eventually yeah. because they don't respect or respond to uh, adoration. Maybe you know, obviously, their own feelings about themselves, you know, esteem issues. But they, but that's not something that ever works out yeah. if you're really in love with somebody you're, and showing it, trying to be as 
you know, right. giving and gracious and unselfish and just, you know, it's all about you. What can I do to make yeah. you feel? You know. And this guy in this movie is in love with Scarlett Johansson for exactly that same thing. Like she's not, she's not that into him. Right. She's, but there's this scene, she's really into Bradley Cooper, who's married to Je- Jennifer Connelly. And there's a scene where Scarlett Johansson comes to his office and they start to have sex, right? They take off her clothes and they're about to have sex on the desk. And Jennifer uh, Connelly knocks on the door because she's trying to save her marriage with him. He shoves mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson in the closet and then Jennifer Connelly comes in and then they have sex. And she leaves, then he has to open the door, and Scarlett Johansson's like, I know you piece of shit, I'm never going to talk to you again, and she storms out. So it's just it's just funny how... Well, she didn't, but wasn't he having sex with Scarlett Johansson runs into the closet because... No, no, he shoves Jennifer her Collins. He shoves her in the closet. She doesn't run into the closet. He shoves her in the closet, yeah, just to be, you know, to save it, to not be caught. I get that, yeah. Yeah. But then after Jennifer Connelly arrives, you were telling me... They have sex in the office, you're saying. Yeah, because right? she's saying we don't have sex anymore to her friend. And, and then she goes back to try to save the marriage by having sex with him. So if he was going to say okay. no, then that would have been it. That would have been the end. Okay. And right. um, so he goes ahead and has sex with her, choosing her instead of... She ends up divorcing him at the end anyway. But um, mm-hmm. it's just a weird scene. But it's Kevin just, Connolly. His Kevin name is Connolly. Kevin Connolly. It Thank came back you. to me. That's it. Kevin Connolly. Yes. He's in this and Justin Long. And you're right. It is, it is shocking to see that many white movie stars in a movie. You just don't see it anymore. It doesn't happen. I'm and and for your Mm -hmm. commenters, we're not saying it's the good old days. We're saying, wow, what a huge difference it was then and now and not to comment on whether it was better or worse. Like, I don't think Jeff is saying that was such a great movie and weren't those the good old days. He's just saying, wow, look at that. Like, that is shocking. It's 2008 or 2009. It's not like it was like, you know, 1992. But what it was, was Hollywood acknowledging that they were going to put all these stars in a movie and make a bunch of money. That's all that was. Right. You know, which they don't do anymore. Because they can't. um, Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say that I have, uh, I'm, I'm feeling less drawn to talking about industry matters because I feel like there's an energy uh, drop right now because, uh, you know, people are kind of sick of talking about the, uh, the Oscars and everything. I know that we have to keep doing it and doing it and doing it between now and when is the final, um, when, is the, when does voting end? Is it sometime in late? February? Yes. Seven-day period, yeah. right? February, and then the Oscars are like March 10th. Just remember that. March 10th. And so, yeah, it's, it's almost over, but is there anything to talk about? I guess we can talk about the Greta Gerwig snub, if you want. I mean, it's not a snub, but we can talk about that uh, since we uh, since it, since it people are, seem to be talking about it. I don't know why, but... Well, let me read a post that, uh, a part, part of a post that Linda Oakes, a, a pathfinding uh, producer from the 90s, he came to my Hotshot Movies class one time out in, uh, in Thousand Oaks. I mean, no, in the, at the Topanga Complex. That's where I was mm. doing that, that class. This is late 90s. And she said this. I have to write about this misplaced horror about the Oscars and Barbie. For one thing, Please name another comedy, 
Barbie is essentially a comedy, you know, obviously mm. social sat- satire, but a comedy where the lead got nominated for an Oscar. I mean, um, and that goes for straight comedy for directors also, dramedies maybe. When Nora Ephron made her debut, nobody cared or wrote about it, nor did she expect kudos for being female. She directed movies that are classic and live forever, and none of them were nominated for anything but screenplay, only screenplay. Right. And we, she especially, didn't flip out. Is she wrong there? No, she knows her Oscar history. Um, yeah. All right, I'll give both sides of the argument. The argument for a nomination for Greta Gerwig is simply this. She's the first woman mm-hmm. to create to produce a billion-dollar movie, billion-dollar movie that saved Hollywood, yeah. that was part of Barbenheimer. She got a DGA nomination. She was not nominated for Little Women. She was nominated for Lady Bird. Um, that's the pro side of the argument. The against the side and against the argument is just uh, Joseph Kaczynski didn't get nominated for Top Gun last year. Denis Villeneuve mm-hmm. didn't get nominated for Dune. The Academy, right. you know, Catherine Bigelow didn't get nominated for Zero Dark Thirty, and Ben Affleck didn't get nominated for Argo. Uh, you know. It happens because in this case, the Academy directors branch is around 600 people. It's not a huge body. It's not like the DGA. And what what they probably did was they figured Greta Gerwig and Alexander Payne were safe. So why should they pick them? Then they picked people that they wanted to push for instead. It's the same thing that Andrea Riseborough knocking out the other two actresses. It's when they think people are safe, they don't vote for them. And they vote for... That's fascinating. I didn't. I actually had not thought of that angle. They did not vote for Alexander Payne because they figured, well, he's obviously safe. So yeah, I'm gonna vote her for too. Someone mm-hmm. else that I really care about. Maybe, I, maybe I can do do something good for somebody. That's yeah. fascinating. So they went with Justine Trier and Jonathan Glazer instead, just like they went through to to Michael Haneke and yeah. uh, whatever his name is, the Beast of the Southern Wild guy, instead of Affleck and. Um, Bigelow. Mm. But it's weird that they only get mad when it's women that get left off. Um, So I I, I can't go along with the whole snub thing, especially since on the left right now, nobody cares if men are competing in women's sports. Right. And if you, Mm -hmm. you know, how can you say that you care about women being nominated for the Oscar, but you don't even care about women who, you know, have to compete against biological men. So that I find to be hypocritical. Uh, but also, I mean, it seems to me that don't you think that just Barbie's impact last summer alone, it's huge, it's massive. It's uh, I mean, and plus being uh, getting a screenplay nomination, she and her husband, Noah, long back, that's a pretty big deal. And obviously, uh, uh, Ryan Gosling getting his nomination is a pretty big deal. And I now I'm forgetting if America Ferrari did she got nominated, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. she did. So that's these are all pretty big deals. Plus we consider the billion dollars and everything else. So what are they complaining about, man? It just seems like there, there's no real basis to get well, it's, too upset. It's know? because it's, we live in a victim culture, victim oriented culture, and a, they need oppressed to be feel oppressed to justify their yeah. cultural dominance. I would have voted for Greta Gerwig personally, because I thought she did a good job. I especially liked the, Ken dance number. I would have voted for her just on that alone, personally. But um, I also not I, a fan I of. I think she did an excellent job of putting her viewpoint, her feelings, you know, her passions across. She did a good 
job. She did. No question. I would have done the same. Mm-hmm. But you're saying, and this is quite possibly, they felt she was so safe they didn't vote for her, a right. lot of people. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Sure. Thanks. Absolutely they did. I mean, you know, when snubs, quote unquote, snubs like this happen, it's usually not directly. It's It's also, people have to realize that there are two factors working against Barbie. One is it's a movie, commercialized movie based on a toy franchise and, and the Academy members and artists don't, don't respect that period. They never will. Um, and secondly, the movie is quite man hating <laughs> and the Academy is, I mean, in a funny way, I think in a funny way, personally, because the Ken steal a show. So it's ironic that, that, uh, the it Ken's, is amusing. That's saying I, I was chuckling, even though I said, boy, this is, really in the tank for, you know, like men are pathetic little babies who can be manipulated and yeah. they're, they're, they're kind of pompous and stupid. I mean, they're really not quality people at all, you know, but so there's not, obviously not going to be any kind of nice centered, good guys at all in this movie, which is just the way she decided to do it. You know, they're all jerks. They're all pompous. They're but all they're funny. Abrasive. And that's the thing is they get to be funny. That's why everybody was talking about the Kens. That's the thing. Everybody knows Ryan Gosling was the best thing about Barbie. And the women had to be these representations of different types, like fat Barbie, trans Uh Barbie, you know, black president Barbie. And so they weren't really Uh allowed to be funny. And so the men Uh stole the show. Um, But I'm just saying that, like, I know a lot of guys who absolutely hated Barbie hated it because of that like just hated it not you mean just they, these are you're talking about guys that couldn't just step back and forget your own personal feelings can't you at least appreciate that impact wise composition wise it really is quite a show i mean i know but go all, back and look at say the critical drinkers video on barbie right he hated oh yeah he was pretty pretty pissed off it, but mm. he was talking about the misandry the the, the male hating thing yeah well the academy is, is 70% male so yeah. you do the math. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I think if you want to get a nominee, you know, and, and look, it's, I, it's funny. Cause I, these movies about women, like poor things and anatomy of a fall, those are, those are also man hating uh, movies, yeah. but you know, anatomy of a fall is, has, you know, a guy in it that they, you know, the, the hot lawyer or whatever. Um, I, I didn't mm-hmm. like that movie. I would never have given her a nomination for that. In a million years, I didn't. They thought it was amateur hour, personally. Um, but it was, um, and really, and, and there wasn't a lot of uh, intrigue and a visual or, or or atmospheric sense. I mean, it was really just two locations, which is the A-frame home where the death happened, where the husband fell, and the uh, basically the the courtroom in downtown Grenoble, Grenoble. Uh, that was it, right? There really wasn't any other. I mean, there was there wasn't a lot of tracking shots. It was um, it was kind no. of uh, not thrilling from a visual, uh, you know, cinematic standpoint or a plot standpoint. I thought I was like very gearing up for this really cool mystery, you know, like it was going to be a deep. Di- you know, she didn't do it right at the beginning, right? Like it's mm. so there's no mystery. You're just watching this thing play out where they're witch burning, you know. And um, right. and it went on too long, and the dog, and the throw up, and the pills, and the sun. Like it was just, I really liked her. Sa- uh, Sandra Holler, mm-hmm. I thought was amazing in the part, and that was the best thing about it was her performance. And maybe I've always liked her. 
Yeah, maybe you get a director nomination just for that fight scene alone, right? That fight scene's incredible between yeah. the two of them. That is just great. And so I could understand. She, she, that movie kind of reminds me of a 70s movie, you know, and, and so raw mm-hmm. and, and interesting. So, of course, they're going to, I mean, it's easy for me to say in hindsight, I didn't predict her to get nominated, but it's kind of understandable to see why they would pick that one over Barbie, which is highly commercialized. And made a billion dollars. They don't feel particularly... And a lot of people felt resentful at Greta Gerwig for leaving the indie scene and selling out, as they said. I don't think that's what she was doing, but that's what some people were saying. Um, Mm. Yeah. But By the way, um, can I mention, at least as an aside, I I won't talk about it in any detail, but I did manage to see... After many, many months of pleading and begging, I did manage to see Coudre Chance, the oh. Woody Allen film that opened in Venice, of course, and is going to be uh, on Blu-ray in Italy as of March, and I think also France. And I'm presuming that is some kind of... Um, uh, <clears throat> American streaming release will happen sometime in the spring. I don't know if it'll be mid-March or early April, but it will, I think, have some, you know, some some uh, visibility. Mm. So, you know. Are you anyways. not allowed to talk about it, or is it under some sort of embargo, or what? Well, I, uh, I kind of said that I wouldn't uh, really go there, you know, but I, oh. but I think it's a pretty interesting film. I'll, I'll say this for it. Um, how many times have we seen, it, it involves um, infidelity and, and murder. And you have to ask yourself, it's basically a, you know, kind of a thriller, sexual thriller, marital thriller. So you have to ask yourself, how many times have you seen a movie, which is basically operated according to the rules of being a thriller. Uh, how many times have you heard uh, yourself saying, well, I know what's going to come. Oh, I can see this. I've got this figured out. Okay. You know, you, you know, usually within by the one third mark, how it's all going to play out. He's got it more or less figured. I do this all the time. We all do. And it's unfortunate because I've been to movies in theaters, for instance, where somebody is talking to me and telling me what's going to happen. I, <laughs> I turn to them and say, okay, can you spare me the, you know, I don't need to have everything figured out. I, I'd like to, kind of play with it in my own head, you know. But the but what happened is that you don't know where this is going. And that's an intriguing thing. It really is. You do not know where this movie is going. It involves infidelity on the part of a young wife, and she has a very wealthy, hard-driving, type-A husband, and she has a mother-in-law who visits from time to time, and she has the boyfriend from her high school era who has suddenly run into her on the street, and things are kind of reigniting and she's questioning her whole thing about whether she wants to be married to this because she's obviously not deeply in love with him, but she's uh, certainly comfortable. I mean, they they live a very flush, lush life, but um, you really don't know what what's going to happen. I mean, usually you can figure it, and I could not. I was like, this is interesting. So I don't know what's happening. I mean, I don't, I can't see the the next card that's coming. So mm. that was cool. So I got to say that's a plus. That's a definite plus. Yeah. Uh, I was bothered. This is going to sound like a rather petty reason, but since there are wealthy people in this film, as there 
usually are in, in Woody Allen's films. He never deals with hand-to-mouth types. Everybody is drinking really great-looking, probably very expensive wine all the time. Uh, and I got sick of people drinking, sipping wine all the time. Does anybody just, you know, not drink? Is anybody a Perrier or Pellegrino or drinker like myself or a Diet Coke, whatever? No. <laughs> Diet Coke. And it just starts to really bother me after a while. Diet Coke's not very cinematic. I mean, that's like... Um, but it is intriguing. It is intriguing. And it's... Um, and it's, it's, you know, it, it, it does it right. It does it right. But there's, uh, I like there's the drinking in a, a movie. Lot of, uh, I, I, I love Allen. one of my favorite what? things in movies is people drinking wine, especially in Woody Allen movies. They drink wine and they drink tea. I love the scene in, probably because it's like ASMR, but I love the scene in Hannah and her sister. No, it's husbands and wives. When she okay. goes to the cafe with, is it Judy Davis, Mia Farrow and Judy Davis? Is that who goes? And they have tea at this cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's like putting the tea, ba- the tea bag in the hot water. And that's <laughs> the weird things that you remember <laughs> from a movie. <laughs> but Judy Davis is always drinking wine in that movie. Constantly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I remember it well. I used to love my glasses. Of, but my first glass of wine in the evening, I would have a I would be very in a very good mood. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but the best thing about Hannah and her sisters is that, to me, uh, I know that the whole the the Michael Caine, Barbara Hershey, uh, Mia Farrow, Diane Weiss. But the thing that really got to me was uh, Woody Allen talking about how he thinks he's got some kind of serious brain tumor because he's having a hearing problem on one yeah. side. And he goes to a so good to a special. And he's pretty, he's not, you know, hasn't been given the horrible <laughs> He's news. like, I have a tumor in my head the size of a basketball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, by the way, speaking of Hannah and her sisters, just to the, su- to the subject, do you remember um, uh, Barbara Hershey in that movie is an alcoholic and she's sober. Uh, remember, she loses all that weight and, uh, and she says she goes to AA meetings. You know, when she's having that affair with well, Elliot. She was living with Max von Sydow, the temperamental artist. You're saying her character is an alcoholic. I don't yes. remember that part. Well, because all. she's talking to Michael Caine on the street and she's saying that she goes to AA I meetings. I drink too much. No, she goes oh, to AA meetings. You're, you're, I'm reminded of something I just didn't uh, realize. That was... Um, I didn't, I didn't, I don't remember it. It didn't come back. Yeah. And he says something like, you know, she says I was unhappy and fat, something like that. So her character arc is that. Don't she and Michael Caine actually fall in, they, they kind of go for it and they fall in love and they have this mad passionate affair. And then something happens that causes both of them simultaneously or one of them to say, we got to back off. Maybe it's Michael Caine. Maybe he says to her, I think we're making a mistake. Or something. Can you recall what it happened? I know that they ended. Um, I think that know. she, Mia Farrow, says something to him, and he's having that inner monologue, and he's like, "And I've just betrayed her by having passionate sex with her sister." <laughs> and so, <laughs> <With> her sister. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to. I think he tries to break it off, and um, eventually mm-hmm. Lee leaves him because she wants something more serious. She's like, you're never going to leave her and that's fine. And then she goes and meets mm-hmm. this teacher and she ends up marrying him or something like that. And he stays okay. with, 
with Mia Farrow. It's such a good movie. God, that is his A game. That movie. That's Woody Allen at his absolute best. That whole movie. It's all so good. Mm-hmm. And his his work starts to take a turn right after the whole thing blows up. His whole life blows up. Because then you have husbands and wives, which is a, a great so that movie. Was wonderful. I just rewatched yeah. that. That That's was his really last good. really, really, really good one. Yeah. But you can start to see the cracks in that movie. And then... What year was Bullet over Broadway? That was before that. Was that... It was? It was in the 80s? I don't remember. No, maybe it was after, actually. It was after. Yeah, Bullets over Broadway, and then... Um, he then... co-wrote that. Here's the thing that I think... I've always been saying uh, for, for quite some time, at least 20 years and now more so, uh, that Woody Allen is a uh, obviously a gifted, talented, uh, funny writer. But as he's gotten older, he needs to have worked with a partner. And he has, when he worked with a partner, like with Marshall Brickman on Annie Hall, mm. Manhattan in 79, and also uh, Sleeper back in 73, and he also partnered with Douglas McGrath on Bullets Over Broadway. And they, <clears throat> he, it's a good idea to work with a partner. And it's not some, you know, ignominious thing that, you know, he should feel bad about. He, I just think that he needs a, uh, a person to kind of... Bullets say, Over Broadway, yeah. It goes Husbands huh. and Wives, 1992, Manhattan Murder Mystery, 1993, Bullets Over Broadway, 1994... Okay, that, and then that, was, that was a good one. That he was still one. wasn't totally exactly. tossed by the public because Mighty Aphrodite came out in 95. People like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had, I didn't like Deconstructing Harry. I hated it. Uh, Sweet and Lowdown with Sean Penn. Doesn't he go to hell and uh, doesn't he literally visit hell at one point? Well, I can't the, remember. The main right? character in Deconstructing See, for me Harry. personally, I was such a huge fan of his, but a lot of these later movies, I just didn't like them. Like, I didn't like Vicky Cristina Barcelona. And I didn't like mm-hmm. um, Midnight in Paris and those kind of things. But now that he didn't been... like that. Everybody liked that. That was the biggest hit of the, the 21st century for him, yeah. I think. Yeah. Everybody liked that. Yeah. Well. What did, can I ask what, you were, what your problem was or what you I didn't have a, a problem. I, I, just, have... I just didn't like it very much. Oh, God. I can hear myself echo on your... Uh, um, match okay. point I liked, uh, but until it turned into crimes and misdemeanors. I was going to say about the Woody Allen collaborator, uh, uh, you know, co-writer or somebody, is that there's a line in, there's a line in uh, Coup de Chance in which uh, the wife who is the infidel, who has been cheating on her rich husband with the boyfriend from way back when she was in high school, and she mentions that he has a, he's been working on a novel. In fact, that that's why he's in Paris. He's here to kind of, you know, get get out of his regular London life and work on a novel. And she finds a copy of the of the novel, and she said it was his only copy, his only copy. Now that's mm-hmm. the thing that Woody Allen is. He goes goes back to thirty years ago. There's a there's a episode in which he loses his only copy of a novel he's been working on in the back of a taxi cab and Juliet Lewis is with him and they gradually recover the manuscript because the taxi driver was nice enough to, to call it in and, you know, 
and so on. Anyway, you can't say nobody has a has a, and there's an only copy of a novel. Not now. There's all these backups. It's just built into the, nobody types on a typewriter. You know, it's just it's it's the kind of thing you can't really put into a script. And everything kind of stops when she says only copy. So right. you know, there's there are things like that that you have to kind of not allow to go into your movie because most people. Uh, younger people, people principally, but even people you know our our age are going to like stop and say that's not right, you know. So. Well, he's an old dude. What are you going to do? He's almost ninety. He's uh, born in thirty five. Well, it, I, I I respect that. What I'm saying is, what you're going to do is that you work with a collaborator, even a guy who's doesn't get credit but gets paid uh, yeah. on the side. Anything, yeah, just just right. you, you got to have. Uh, that stuff taken out of your screenplays. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. Um, 